It's no secret that we live in a time of heightened social tension. There are issues all around us that we are being inundated with through the media and through the news and through conversations around the dinner table with our family. At times, it can feel really overwhelming as to how we are supposed to tackle these massive issues like racism, recidivism rates, foster care reform, health care. The list goes on and on and on. But today's guest is tackling these issues with a different kind of ammunition, human-centered design. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview a different entrepreneur, a CEO, a nonprofit director, or just an incredible person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Jarell Coleman, the founder of DC Design, a social impact design firm that uses human-centered design to fix some of the world's biggest problems. For Jarell, his passion is all about injecting excitement and enthusiasm into industries working on the front lines of America's most pressing social challenges, the foster care system, prison reform, emergency rooms, and education. This conversation is rich and deep and thoughtful, and I hope it challenges some of the ways of thinking that you know maybe within your heart and it encourages you to get involved in some of these issues. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Darrell. Darrell, I am so excited to be talking to you. You're all the way on the other side of the country. I'm in North Carolina. You're in California, right? I'm actually in New Haven, Connecticut oh, right now. Oh, wait. Okay. So, but but are you, did, did I, did I make that up in my head then that you're from California? No. Well, so I, uh, I split my time actually between California and uh, the East Coast over oh, okay. here between New Haven and, and New York. Okay. So you're actually not that far from me then. But my, uh, my aunt actually lives in Madison. So you're not too far from there. Wonderful. It's a pretty it's a pretty area of the country, but much colder than North Carolina. A little bit cold right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am just so excited to have you on the show today. Um, when I learned about you and what you're doing with DC Design, and honestly, I will be like, this is just me being completely transparent. When I saw that you are, it's a social impact design firm. I was like, I don't even know what that is, but this sounds awesome. And then the more I began to dig into learning about about you, I just was, I was like, yes, I'm on board. <laughs> um, so I am just really excited to share your story with um, the Business with Purpose podcast community today. So Darrell, I'm going to have you do what all my guests do, and that's give us the Darrell 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Uh, my name is Darrell Coleman. I am the son of David and Annette Coleman. I'm really excited to be on your podcast here today as well. Um, but yeah, I guess I would, I, I could tell you a little bit about me going all the way back to my childhood. So, um, raised by my two parents, um, uh, fantastic and incredible individuals, uh, along with an older brother and a younger sister, um, was born in Nebraska, but grew up in Texas. And from a really young age, uh, I think I've, I've really been blessed to know what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. Um, it's really funny when I was, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I, I remember making things for my grandmother, um, and that's sort of being a, a really big spark for me uh, along the way, growing up with a family that really, if we were going to have anything, we were going to make them. So when I was eight years old, my mom asked, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember very clearly saying, I'm going to be an inventor. And she looked at me and she said, well, how are you going to make money? And I said, I'm going to have my own company one day that makes things and sells them. And for me, at, you know, at eight years old, it was a really matter of fact sort of thing. Um, but things changed uh, quickly in my family. Um, that next year, my brother was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer mm. and um, was really challenging for us, um, really challenging, you can imagine, for a nine-year-old, but also really challenging for him. He was 14 at the time. Um, but I, you know, that experience was incredibly transformative for me. I watched for the next five years as he, you know, he grew older, he um, he beat the odds over and over again. He went into remission. He came out of remission. He, um, you know, came back and was on his, the varsity soccer team at the school. He graduated on time, standing ovation, et cetera. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and he was my hero. But at the end of that five years, 
uh, he lost his battle with cancer. And I was devastated. This is something that sort of defined, you know, many parts of my childhood and my family's life. Um, and, and so I was sort of looking for a path forward from that point. Um, one thing that I started to think about was this sort of declaration that I'd made about being an inventor, about really wanting to create things. And when I was younger, it was, I want to make flying cars and I want to be on Oprah and I want to win awards and I want to, yeah. you know, do all those things. But after reflecting on his life, um, this, this notion that there are people who are really fighting, they're fighting for their lives, they're trying their best to be their best, um, but there are barriers in their way. Um, I, I started to think about what I wanted to create and realized that for me to create things that didn't improve quality of life, that didn't give people that chance, uh, felt meaningless. Mm -hmm. And so I set down this path of saying, well, I'm going to create things. I'm going to be an inventor, but I'm going to invent things that help other people. And, um, that really, uh, has, has been the lightning rod through my life, you know, for the next 15, 16 years here. Um, I, you know, I, again, I'm really blessed by my two parents that nurtured that, that notion, this idea that I could go on and, 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 and invent the life that I wanted to live. But, um, went off to Stanford, studied mechanical engineering, sustainable design, uh, for my master's there as well. Um, and then, started a company um, that was really looking at how do I you know, begin to address these big problems in the world. Um, we were designing wind turbines the first time out. Uh, that company failed. Uh, and then I started my second company, which is the current one that I run called DC Design. And um, things have been going quite well since then. Um, so I just feel really blessed to uh, have the opportunity to do the sort of work that we do, but also to have lived the life that I've lived so far. Man, uh, just thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, especially sharing the story of your brother and the impact that that had on you. So you were 14 at the time of his passing, correct? Correct. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, my mom passed away when I was 17. And so mm. I always, I always say, cause you know, you never compare grief and you never, especially like when you, but when you lose mm -hmm. a family member that that's that close to you at such a young kind of, I don't impressionable is not the right word, but you know what I'm saying? Like at just a young age, it really does transform your way of thinking because you're suddenly thrust into this perspective on life that, Oh crap, like life is short <laughs> and yeah. like you have no idea how much time you have and like life all of a sudden becomes really precious and I I've talked with so many other friends who have lost like parents at a young age or a sibling at a young age and they all have this exact same perspective that's just kind of unique to people who have experienced that kind of loss. And so um, is that something that you've ever really like consciously thought about that it's just like you feel almost this and again I don't even know if this is the word but like this sense of pressure to mm. really live your life as much as you can with the time that you've been given and make an impact on other people with that time. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a ton of sense. I, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, I think you framed it really well, and I'm sorry to hear about your mother as well. I think, I think there's something about seeing someone that close to you pass away, mm -hmm. especially at a young age. Um, the the common mantra, right? The notion is like life is short, live mm -hmm. it up. Yeah. You know. And I I came away from this saying life is short, which means I only have so much time to get done the things that I was you know put here to do. Yeah. And, um. And I've tried in, in every aspect of my life, really, you know, from from the way that I approach each new year, you know, I name each of my years and there's a theme to it. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Wow. We're, we're identifying some things Same right now. Samesies. Yeah. You know, so I approach it with this sort of uh, theme based uh, notion and, yeah. and in it, it's a chance for me to transform myself more and more into the person I want to become Yeah. Um, from the way that I, you know, try to be close to my family, um, knowing that. I won't have them forever. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and just try to be balanced, really, that being present with thinking about the future and the future of the world that we live in and that sort of balance that you have to strike. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you about DC Design. But before I do that, you briefly mentioned, and it was a wind turbine company, like a, your first company failed. Mm. Um, and so often we talk to, we look at different types of successful entrepreneurs and we brush over the failures. Um, and I, always, I honestly don't even really like to use the word failure. Like we, we, 
brush over the learning experiences <laughs> because <laughs> I know I've failed a lot in my life, but I look at those things as opportunities that pushed me to become better in whatever I'm doing. And in 99.99% of the cases where I look back on a quote unquote failure, I'm just like, man, I'm so grateful for that. Um, mm. Had I not had that failure, had I not had that kind of season of suffering or whatever it was in both my business and in my personal life, I wouldn't be where I am. So what were the things that you learned from that first company that wasn't quote unquote successful that helped to really launch you into, into running something that is, that is successful? Yeah. I, you know, I think what's really interesting about humans, uh, is the way that we are able to sense highs by sensing lows in some ways, right? And the way that we're able to learn from what we've been through um, be- because we start to figure out what that feels like. And so I learned so much from that first company. Um, and it was really painful at the same time. It's like both can be true, you know? Um, I The first company, we were designing wind turbines for developing world power generation. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to, you know, build renewable energy sources to um, deliver lighting to individuals in industrializing nations. And that was a that was an aim that made a lot of sense. I had been to Nicaragua and done research on how access to electricity affects quality of life, and you know, sort of set out to build a company around that. But um, I was young and graduating from college at the time. Didn't have the funds to move to Latin America or another country in general. Had uh, some debt for my master's to pay off as well, and I compromised that vision. So I I said, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to build wind turbines, low cost turbines for homeowners in America. Maybe some of them will be rural. So maybe some of them will be local. Um, we have this, we had this sort of unique turbine design that looked different than other um, typical wind turbines. So it didn't just look like a big fan. And um, that that's really where things met their their end, right? There was no real need for that solution for homeowners here. And so I, I had poured like four years of my life into this. You know, I'd spent a couple years of my undergrad at Stanford studying that, going to Nicaragua, doing my research on that, developing different uh, designs. Again, I studied mechanical engineering. So I was I was constantly working on the fluid mechanics and the thermodynamics and um, more so the fluid mechanics of the design. And then, uh, you know, at the end of that, for that to fail, I, I experienced this incredible soul crushing defeat. Uh, you know, my, my roommate and uh, best man at my wedding, <laughs> he, he said to me at the time, he said, you know, I've never seen you so down mm-hmm. um, as you were at that time. And, uh, and that's how I felt. So yeah. that sort of soul crushing defeat um, was really hard to come up against. Um, but I, I do think that there's this notion that runs through my mind a lot, kind of going back to that first story about my brother, which is, well, it's not as bad as that, mm. you know? Um, yeah. and, and I'm not, not to say that I won't ever experience something as bad as that again. Um, but, uh, I think, I do think these relative levels of like, wow, there's like real bad stuff that has happened, you yeah. know, or real, real painful stuff. And this is really painful, but I know that I've climbed before I've climbed out of this before and I know I can climb out of it now. Yeah. Um, that was something that I really relied on there. Um, and I think it also taught me a lot about what I didn't know. I had, I was trying to build this big company, um, that was solving a global problem and I had never, taking the time to take the baby steps, not necessarily to say, not to say that you, you know, we have to, um, go the same route as, as other people go necessarily to get there. Um, but I had never sold anything before. Yeah. I had never built a functioning website that actually like people actually visited before. Yeah. I never marketed anything online before. I had never had anyone purchase anything from me, you know, all, all these pieces of running a business that I just didn't know. And so when I went out, when I set out to build DC design, um, I started from the beginning. I started yeah. from the basics and I said, well, I need to acquire all these skills. I'm going to acquire them piece by piece by piece by piece. And this is sort of going to be going to be my business degree um, as I go. Yeah, I hear that. That is such a common thing 
among business owners. There are so many business owners I know that did not go to business school and they have their training in something else. And then so all of a sudden, whatever their training is in or whatever passion they discover and then they go into business for themselves and they're like, oh, wait, I should probably learn like some basics about business. (laughs) And so they kind of learn trial by fire. Um, But that sometimes that's just the best way to learn. It's like the best way to learn a foreign language is to just move to that country because you just learn better by kind of immersion. Yeah. You know, this is, that's really, it's, it's sort of who I'm from in many ways. Um, I, I come from a working class family. I said briefly before, like if we were going to have anything in my family, we we're going to build it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad is the best engineer that I know. Um, and he doesn't have a degree in engineering. Yeah. He's a retired air force master sergeant, but mm. I, I think uh, we learned, we learned, and I've learned since then, you know, by by sort of the, that trial by fire thing you're talking about, right? Where you jump into it and you say, "Well, I've got to figure this out," and so I know I can figure this out, and so I will figure this out. Yeah. Um, which I just I find to be one of the most admirable traits in in people when they when they're willing to embrace that. Yeah, and they're willing to to put in the work to to figure it out, and they're saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm pretty sure I don't know how to do this, but I'm gonna do the work to figure out, or teach myself, or learn how, or whatever." Um, yeah, gosh, that's so important. Uh, so I want to shift a little bit to, to talk more about DC design. And so this is, like I said, at the beginning, when I, when I learned it was a social impact design firm, I was I'm just tr- completely transparent. I was like, I don't know what that is. So if there's somebody listening who's like me and is like, I don't know what that is, tell them, <laughs> tell, tell us sure. what is it you do and, and, and what is exactly a social impact design firm? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if I were to tweak it a little bit, I would, I would say, um, we're a social impact strategy and design consultancy, right? So what we do is we basically, we help the people who are on the front lines of delivering social impact, people who are trying to really address these big systems that we have from criminal justice to foster care, to education, to healthcare, people who are trying to think about the people who are being left behind or forgotten or, where the system isn't working for them, we help all those people deliver on their mission. Um, and so we do that through a couple of ways. One way is by helping them develop their strategy. And so you know, we, we sit down with them and we say, well, what are your main priorities? What are the things that really matter to you? But then we also utilize this process called human-centered design. And that for us means getting to know and understand the needs of the people who actually live through a given challenge to help set those priorities. So it's one thing to say, you know, the social worker is saying that this is what the issue is in foster care. But in addition to that, we should be talking to the foster youth to say like, what, is the, what are the issues that you're running into? Like what happened to you this week? What happened to you last week? And they'll tell you, I was locked out of my house this week and I didn't have anyone to call and I didn't have anywhere to go. And that's something that has happened to me three times and it completely messes up my week, right? Mm-hmm. Completely messes up my flow. So we use a process where we talk to the people who've been incarcerated or people who are incarcerated or the people who are foster youth or the people who are uh, in any situation have lived through any challenge um, to help organizations set their strategy. And then after that, after the strategy is set, um, after you know we've come to consensus by talking to all the people who have been affected by it, um, we also help them build whatever sort of solution it is that they want to build. So that might be delivering a strategic plan because they want to act on that themselves, or it might be developing an app like we did for a a nonprofit in San Jose recently um, that was looking at connecting the Latino community there, making sure that uh, they had the resources needed to um, care for their kids because uh, that's really important. It's important that kids have the resources they need to grow and, and mature and um, so we developed an app that uh, helps connect the community, helps give parenting tips to parents, um, helps um, track child milestones as they grow older so that we can make sure that children are developing properly. Um, and so, yeah, we, we sort of we run the gamut from the strategy side all the way to the delivery of whatever product service you know, app it is that people are, are looking to create. Yeah. And so through that, one of the things that you have actually created through learning all of what you've learned over the years um, since starting DC Design and doing a lot of this work and working with with these different types of people is you've actually created um, design thinking impact retreats. So talk a little bit about those and what exactly those entail and, and where did the idea for it come from? 
Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, my, my main goal is really, um, it's really about the souls of other people it's the souls of myself, my soul as well. I should yeah. say, um, it's really about connecting with the part of us that, you know, can't be cut unless we let it be cut. Mm-hmm. It's the part of us that says we can get back up even though we've been knocked back down. It's the part of us that says that each other matters. And I think, um, in our work, that's sort of what we're always trying to express, whether we're doing it directly or not. The, the design thinking, uh, retreats, um, are really focused on helping other people who feel that same way, who think, you know, I really want to make an impact in the world and I really um, want to gain some new skills and some uh, learn some new techniques for doing that. These retreats are designed to help teach the methods that we've developed and that we use um, to other people so that they can do that as well, um, so that they can touch the souls of other people and they can uh, create the impact in the world that helps alleviate the suffering uh, that we experience. Man. So you like, who are the types of people that are attending these? Are these just kind of independent people? Are they small businesses or is it a combination of both? It's a combination. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a couple different models for them and, um, you know, we're always open and interested in, in hearing what people are want as well, right? That's really what our whole model is based on is saying, you know, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? What would make you better? What would help you get to where you want to get to? Like, let us figure out how we can help you get there. Um, but the people who are attending, you know, oftentimes, uh, they're what we call social impact innovators. These are people who, um, they're, they're already thinking about these issues. They have a, a challenge that really bothers them. Something that comes up, um, for them over and over again, it keeps them up at night. Um, and, you know, when they when they hear the news, they think, I really want to do something about this, right? They don't just turn it off. Um, those are the people that we're, that we're usually working with. And they come from all walks of life. Sometimes they, they work, uh, you know, at a company and um, they are, they, they have a job that isn't aligned with what we just said. Yeah. Um, sometimes they are the entrepreneur or the you know head of an organization that's trying to confront these big issues sometimes they're somewhere in between they're transitioning in their career and they say you know i really want to start this project or get this thing off the ground for this population of people it's not really important to us where someone is in that process Um, what's more important is do you have an issue that really matters to you do you have access to um, some of the people who've been through that challenge before or can you can you gain access to them and are you interested in really taking a look at some of the assumptions that you might have and uh, learning more from them about what they can teach you as well Mm -hmm. so that you guys can work on this problem together okay i'm so sorry to break from this incredible conversation with darrell but i wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show and that is the root collective Now, The Root Collective is obviously no stranger to this show as Bethany Tran, who is the founder and owner of TRC, is one of my dearest friends, and she was a guest really early on. I have been a huge fan and supporter of The Root Collective for years, and you can pretty much always catch me wearing their incredible shoes. Why? Because they are the most complimented pair of shoes that I own. And those compliments lead to a story about how my shoes are ethically made, empowering communities, and investing in change through job creation. You can visit stillbeingmolly.com slash TRC and use the coupon code PURPOSE20 for 20% off your order. Now back to my chat with Darrell. I'm somebody who like I social justice is like in my blood and I just I'm I really care about um, elevating the worth of the voiceless, um, being a voice for the voiceless and really figuring out what is it that I can do in my own sphere of influence and in my own circles um, and in my own life that can you know, break the barriers of systems that are in place that might be oppressing a group of people or or what can I do to, you know, positively impact, um, you know, the foster care system in my community or what, you know, what can I do to support foster parents or foster families or what can I do to um, volunteer in prisons or or whatever it is. Like I always, I feel very that, that personal challenge Mm -hmm. to take on those things. Um, I mean, part of it is because of how I was, raised like my mom was like she was a social justice advocate like she was an advocate like it ad the word advocate is on her gravestone like that's the type of person that she was wow. and so that 
that legacy was left for me. And so I feel very strongly in that area. And, um, also just personally like being a Christian, but I didn't even become a Christian until I was later in my twenties, like being a Christian, I feel very called to that. And, um, and so one of the things that, that I really was drawn to you about was, was actually in your bio where you just talk about how like in a time of heightened social tension, like how you're really tackling these issues with, what you call a different kind of ammunition. And that's that human centered design, which you talked about a little bit earlier. Um, And man, I was just so like, when I read that sentence, I was like, boom, I need to talk to this guy. Um, And so I just, I I don't know if if you'd be willing to talk about that a little bit more, um, because that's just something that is so near and dear to my heart, especially when it comes to things like um, prison reform and criminal justice reform um, and the foster care system and things like that. Because, um, you know, in the area that I live, like I live in Durham, North Carolina, and like the foster system is so broken here. Um, And I, because I have friends who are foster parents and like, I see the struggles that they are facing as a foster parent. And then also I see the struggles that these kids are facing. Um, and then, you know, I also like I volunteered at our local um, or not local, local, but the women's maximum security prison in Raleigh um, a few years ago. I was a volunteer there for quite a few years and like just the brokenness in that prison and and the structures within it. And so it, it did light this fire within me of like, what is it that I can I can do what can I do as just like a regular Joe a regular yeah. Jane um, to make an impact um, so what it, when you say like in, an, in a, high, a time of a heightened social tension you want to tackle these issues with human-centered design what was it that really lit a fire under you to do that and where did you even begin yeah that's so many fantastic little questions like yeah i know sorry i realized i realized well. i kind of just like unloaded there for a second no, I, no, I, that's great. Um, <laughs> I have a habit of doing that <laughs> one thing i'll say just to start with is yeah. is i think it is it is the it is the quote unquote average joe i think we're all average joes oh yeah for sure um i think we all you know everyone starts off in a certain place and then we get to these places where people say oh you're doing that and so you're in a different category but mm-hmm. i don't think that's true i mm-hmm. think i think in the end the only way that we really address these big issues that um really affect us all. Uh, you know, we, we try to, we act at times like they don't, right? Or we think at times that the, the, the person who's homeless, their life doesn't really affect us, but it does in many mm-hmm. ways affect yeah. us. And if you just start to think about how that might impact you, um, and you can think about that. Uh, so I think the only way that we're really going to confront those issues is if more and more and more of us are actually um, sort of in it, trying to make these changes happen. Um, the way that, that I really got started down this specific path, um, I guess I'll answer with, with two points, two yeah. things that happened. So one was my first company failed. And as I was thinking about what are the challenges I want to address, I had been focused prior to that on, um, things in other countries, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's a term for this, it's called the exotic underclass. Mm. Um, and it really says like, well, yeah, we want to go off to exotic locations and we want to do good there because we we're worried about the people who are hurting in those places. And I think that there's a lot of merit to that. And that's really important that we have people doing that. But as I was thinking about it, I was also thinking about, you know, kids here in the United States, um, mm-hmm. people right here who are struggling or who are suffering or who are, who are homeless or who are incarcerated. And, and so I thought back to this exercise that I did. And I think this is something that anyone can do to start with. Um, I had this exercise when I was uh, in college. And it was basically, the only assignment was list 100 problems in the world. And I started listing problem after problem after problem. And um, as I went through the whole list, I got through all these sort of mundane, like personal problems, um, you know, cracks in the sidewalk when skateboarding, or like my clothes don't dry all the way in the dryer. <laughs> You know, things like that. Um, So I got all those out of my system. And then I was sitting there and I was just looking at the paper and it was number 67. And I was I was thinking and I was like, what are the problems? What are the problems? And the the next word I wrote was poverty. I was like, Mm. oh, you know, wildfires are going to tear through California next year. And we're not creating or inventing or designing things to address it. Right. Hurricanes are coming. And. People are going to be displaced. Lives are going to be lost. And we know that they're coming, right? We know that a lot of these problems are on the horizon. Yeah. Um, violence is increasing in, 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 in 
in aspects of our of our country mm-hmm. right now. And um, I think the first step is really identifying like what challenges, what problems are we facing that really resonate with us as individuals. Um, so if we can figure out what that is, um, that's step one. The next step becomes who are the people who are experiencing that directly and how do I start having some conversations with them? Um, and I think this is something, again, that, that anyone can do. It says, you know, individuals uh, who are in jail or leaving jail, like I, I can go talk to those individuals, right, those people, as long as I've identified who they are or social workers who are trying really hard to care for other people. I can go talk to them and I can ask them, like, what are the challenges you're facing? Like, what are the big things that, you know, you're running into right now um, that aren't working? Yeah. And then I think the next step, and this is where that kind of, it doubles back to what we talked about before, right? We don't all have the skills needed at this very moment to do everything that we've been called to do, right? Mm -hmm. Or to do do everything that we, we might need to do in order to really address these issues. But I have a tremendous respect for people who say, like, I don't know how to do this right now but I will, right? I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure out how to do something about this issue. And then we do a sort of, we do a process of trial and error while working with a few individuals who have said, yes, I, I want to help you confront this issue for my population, right? Mm-hmm. For the people who are like me. Um, you know, so, so giving an, an example again, it might be, um, yeah, I really want to help um, people leaving jail get back on their feet. Um, I went and talked to some individuals who have recently left jail um, and some others who are really interested in working with me to figure out how we can provide some resources. Right. And that might be the the first step might be as simple as I collect donations. Right. To to make sure that people have a bus ticket to get to the right place right when they leave jail, Mm -hmm. because that's a big issue. Yeah. Right. Or um, or I collect um, enough money to make sure people can have a hot meal or three hot meals, right, for their first day out, because that's a big issue. Yeah. And we learn about these issues when we start having conversations with people about what they're going through. Yeah. Oh, I could not agree with that more. I could not echo that more. I just want to, like, plaster that on a giant billboard and, like, paste it all over town. Um because especially like during, you know, a season of heightened social tension. And a lot of times, like I've had a lot of conversations just kind of one-on-one with different people when we say like, and I've thought a lot about this, like where we've always, since you can look back into the time of the old Testament, like Mm -hmm. we've always been in a season of heightened social tension. Like there has, (laughs) has been and always will be a season of heightened social tension, but it feels worse because, and I, I'm not like, I'm like, ah, the media, like, you know, like, I'm not like that guy that's like, ah, the media. But like, when we have, uh, you know, the news and social media that where like, literally the statistic was 81% of news headlines last year were negative. Mm. So when you have um, a, a system in place where we're bombarded with news and 81% of the news headlines are negative, of course we're going to feel like the world's falling apart. When this stuff has always been happening, it's just being amplified. And so what do we do to kind of not ignore those things, but say, okay, well then how can we in our own circles begin to have conversations with people who look different from us, who think different from us, who believe different things from us, and how can we have conversations in a human way to say, hey, we might not agree on this particular thing, but like I'm, I'm listening. Right. Um, I, I'm listening, and I'm not going to interject my opinion. I just want to hear your perspective. Um, and I'm so grateful for the friends in my life who maybe we disagree on something, or maybe there's a particular issue that we disagree on, or maybe we, our perspectives might be different um, because our life experiences are different. Um, I'm so grateful for those opportunities to have those conversations, but I have learned the most by having really tough conversations with people who have a different perspective. Like I, I think about like, like I, I have a really good friend um, who is very, very vocal in the anti-racism community. And she has taught me so much about like, what does it look like for me to use my white privilege in fighting anti-racism? And mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up 
in Washington, D.C. Like I went to an incredibly diverse elementary school, middle school, high school. So it was not till I was an adult to where this was even like it even occurred to me that this was a thing because just because of the environment that I grew up in, it was so diverse. It's not that racism didn't exist. It was just it wasn't as much of an amplified issue because I lived outside of D.C. But now here I live in in the South and it's just a different climate where it's like, oh, no, no, these things have already have always existed. We just didn't necessarily talk about them. Right. So then I'm like, oh, man. And so now I'm, I'm like just doing whatever I can. Like, OK, I want to learn what does it look like to then use the fact that like admit the fact that like I was born with white skin. And so that gives me a certain amount of privilege. So then how do I use that privilege to break down the barriers of racism? You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I, I do. And I love that I because I think I think that this notion of privilege, right, I think that it exists in so many forms. Oh, for um, sure. You know, like I have a I have a type of privilege because of the education I have now or the, mm. the way that I speak or my height. Right. Like all these pieces um, help me do certain things. Mm-hmm. I think so much of what you said, I, I just love I, I love this notion that um yeah, and with that privilege, it's like Spider-Man, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Yes. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got all this ability, right? Yeah. And and you can use it either for yourself and for yourself alone. Yeah. Or you can turn around and you can try to understand why someone else is living the life that they're living and maybe made the choices that they made, but maybe they were influenced by factors that are different than the ones that you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, that's that's one thing. And then the second I, I would say is one thing that I think about a lot is this balance, this notion of of justice and redemption, mm. right? justice and redemption and how they have to go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, I think our social movements right now, they've pushed us so far toward, um, towards justice, right? Towards this notion that we should, we have to hold people accountable. We have to find the people who are doing wrong. We have got to, we've got to call them out. Um, and we've got movement after movement that starts from there. And I, I don't think it's bad ever to, to call out injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think this, this, that piece around, um, redemption, right? Mm-hmm. Helping make sure that there's a path for restoration for the people who uh, are are being accused of doing wrong or who have done wrong, yeah. um, while making sure that we really understand, like, what is it that caused you to make these choices? What is it that put you in this situation? What is it um, that in your environment might be different than what I've perceived before? Um, that piece of understanding. I just love everything you just said about that. Oh, man, Darrell, I could we could do a whole nother podcast on what you just said, um, <laughs> because I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine um, last week. And um, while this may not even be what you were intending, but it just it reminded me of that because you said like there's the justice and the redemption piece. And mm-hmm. um, it is a friend of mine who's actually a pastor's wife. And we were talking about like, like I'm going biblical here, but I, we were, I was talking about like in the Old Testament when when David has his affair with Bathsheba and like it's a huge, huge like major sin on this man's life like David like he's King David like he's been appointed by God like he is he wrote half of the Psalms like he is David and yet he has this major major indiscretion where he has this affair with Bathsheba and he has Uriah killed and all these kinds of things like this is a big deal and yes like he has to face the consequences of that because the the illegitimate child that was born of David and Bathsheba what happens to the baby dies and this is like a really this is like a very very sad thing but then who's the next child that's born and that's Solomon who then goes on and is anointed later to build to build the temple and so we were talking a lot about like this notion of repentance and like like when we when we fail when we sin when we mess up and like whether you're listening and like you're if you're a Christian or not like this applies to anybody like when we fail like sin is within us like we're gonna mess up but if we take the time to repent and to and to go on that path of redemption and to say you know what I screwed up and I'm sorry um but 
so often like it's like God is the is the quickest to forgive us when we repent and 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 he even forgives David. He says like you are like your sin is wiped clean here. But then David still has to face the consequences of that behavior for the next like decade. And right. so like the the consequences of his sin like never really leave him, but he's been forgiven and God still blesses him and all these things. But then we look at other people in both in the Bible and in real life who just refuse to apologize or uh, repent or just say, hey, you know what? I screwed up. And the circumstances turn out so differently. But then lately, I've just felt like this. I felt very heavy when we see somebody who has like a major indiscretion or somebody in the public sphere or somebody in our own lives, like in our personal life, who messes up, who screws up. And then they apologize. And it's like we are so slow to forgive people. Yeah. And it's just like, y'all, we all screw up. But at what point are we going to say, you know what? Like, I appreciate the fact that you you apologized and said, hey, you know, I'm I'm going to do better and I'm going to learn from this. Um. Anyway. Oh, gosh. See, yeah, I told you I could go on like I'm going to go on a whole, whole nother thing. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that is so good. Like justice and redemption. And it's just ugh, so yeah, good. And, yeah. And holding that holding that here right on for 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 one another really Mm -hmm. like creating the space for redemption for one another i like that balance of there are still consequences for things that we do yeah but the consequences sometimes we choose them and we just we choose them to make them punitive i want you to suffer i Mm -hmm. want you to feel pain i want you to um go through x y and z but that's not the same as the goal of saying i want you to learn from what you've done and i want you to become a better person you know Um, and, and I think we get to be the ones who create the space for one another to feel safe to say, yeah, I messed up and, and I need help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I I think about, um, you know, like, and I haven't really shared completely my story, um, on the podcast, but I've shared bits and pieces of it on my blog, but I made a lot of really like terrible financial decisions when I was in college and got myself in a lot of financial trouble and um, when I was right out of college and to the point that like I was in so much debt that I was just I, I was be like it felt beyond repair but I didn't tell anyone what I was going through and along the way like I had to you know make really tough decisions to kind of protect myself which I now know was a mistake because along the way I hurt people that I was close to because I I didn't show up for things that I should have showed up for and I didn't go to weddings or I I canceled last minute on plans because I didn't have the money to do it and instead of just being honest and being open about the situation I hurt people and so I had to like later go back and repair some really close relationships and say hey here's what I was going through at the time it's not an excuse um but it's it's just the reality that I was facing and I really screwed up and I'm so sorry and I'm so thankful that you know those were that a lot of those relationships were restored but yeah I mean that was just that was a really hard thing for me to do to just kind of be like hey I'm really like I really I screwed up big here and and I'm hoping that you can forgive me and thankfully (laughs) thankfully like some of my best friends did um but yeah yeah, but that's hard for us as humans to do to just be like I screwed up um and I'm, I'm gonna do better you know right absolutely Oh, man. All right. Well, Darrell, I could like talk to you for nine more hours. Um, So uh, but before we transition to our get to know you round, um, how can people find out more about you? How can they find out about these design thinking impact retreats? Um, How can they support the work you're doing? Yeah. So um, the best thing to do would be to sign up for our newsletter at dcdesignltd.com. We announce uh, the various offerings that we have there, whether it's consulting work that we've done, which uh, you know, I, I think some people enjoy following because they get to see uh, or feel like, you know, some things are happening in these different spaces and what types of things yeah. are, are we are we discovering? Um, or, you know, we announce our impact retreats there. And we're, we're really running the impact retreats in the Bay Area right now, but we will be launching them um, in other places around the country in the future. And so we'd love to just begin to build up that community of people who are really interested in saying like, yeah, I want to, I want to make a difference in my community. There's this issue that really bothers me. Um, it doesn't have to be every issue. It can be one issue. Um, I want to learn some of the skills and techniques that you use to really, um, to make sure that the impact you're creating is real and meaningful. Cause I think that's one of the other things that we're all craving. We all crave to know that what we're doing is actually making a difference, mm-hmm. not just throwing money into the void, 
for example, right? Um, and we've got a lot of thoughts on that. So definitely sign up for the newsletter at dcdesignltd.com. If you have high school age kids, we're running, we run a program that we developed called Design the Future, mm. where we teach high school students to design products for individuals with physical disabilities. And so over the course of, of six days, students learn, they, they meet a project partner who's an individual with a physical disability. They learn that they're going to not design for that person, but with that person. Um, who will be like a part of their team in many ways. Um, and then they go on to understand everything it is to, you know, about that specific challenge that that person is facing, um, come up with tons of ideas for it, create prototypes for it, test those prototypes, find out why their prototypes are horrible, um, feel down, et cetera. They go through this whole cycle. Um, but at the end of the week, they create functional products that they can actually hand over to their project partner and know hey, this is something that, that could be useful in, in this person's life to improve their quality of life. So if you've got high school students, um, we are actually in open enrollment right now for Design the Future. Um, and that, that will be, uh, that'll be beginning, those programs will be beginning in uh, June and July. And so there will still be some time um, to sign up. Um, yeah, those are, those are the main ways to uh, sort of keep track of us. Awesome. Well, that is really exciting. And I will make sure to include all of that info in the show notes. Um, for those that are interested, you can refer to the show notes. Um, but Darrell, this is the portion of the show where we transition just a little bit to ask some fun, lighthearted, get to know you questions. And as my listeners know, this is the part where my executive producer husband uh, inserts a movie clip or like a television <laughs> clip to transition us. We never know what it's going to be. It's always, it's, you know, it's a surprise every single week. So, uh, Darrell, are you ready? I am ready. I'm Prison Mike. Been a lot of fun talk about prison today, but I am here to scare you straight. What'd you do, Prison Mike? I stole and I robbed and I kidnapped the president's son and held him for ransom. That is quite the rap sheet, Prison Mike. And I never got caught, neither. Well, you're in prison, but... Mm-hmm. Okay, number one, would you rather go 30 days without your phone or in your entire life without dessert? Uh, I would go 30 days without my phone. <laughs> yeah, me too. No question. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I need For cheesecake. Sure. I need cheesecake. What, on that note, what is your favorite kind of dessert of choice? I actually, you just said it. I love cheesecake. Yes. Uh, I'm a really big cheesecake fan. You know, cookies and cream ice cream is fantastic mm-hmm. as well, um, but I love me some cheesecake. Yes, give me all the cheesecake. Uh, okay, <laughs> number two. Uh, what is the dumbest way you've ever been injured? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was a kid. Uh, I was nine years old, and um, I was talking to the neighbor from across the street. And I remember that we had this little trailer, this little rusty, tiny trailer. It was probably like two feet by three feet. Um <laughs> And I was standing on it. And I remember my dad had said, don't don't stand on, don't play on, don't get near this trailer. Right. But I was standing on it because I was talking to the girl from across the street. Yeah. And um, I heard the front door open and I was like, oh, no. And so I jumped off this trailer. But as I jumped, I ended up cutting the side of my leg open in like a nine inch long gash. Um, which immediately like over flooded, you know, my sock and my shoe with blood no. and all sorts of stuff. And so I ended up having, it wasn't actually, it was actually my sister who was coming outside. So it <laughs> wouldn't have even mattered, but ended up having to go to my parents, tell them everything that happened, go to the hospital, get tetanus shots, get a bunch of stitches, sit out of, um, <laughs> sit out of, of PE for like two weeks, you know, um, <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's that's definitely number one. Number two is a close second, but we'll go with that one. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is so now now that I'm a parent and like I there's so many times where I'm telling my kids, I'm like, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Like, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. And then the moment they get hurt and they're crying and like part of me, I should be the, the very compassionate parent. But I'm like, if you just listen to me, you would have been hurt. I know, right? Yeah, so it's so often. true. Why, uh, why, why do we do that? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, what is not real, but you desperately wish it was? Goku from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> that is not the answer. If you had been like, <laughs> guess 50 answers, <laughs> that is not on the list of answers I would have even remotely thought you'd say. Molly, I have a whole other side that we haven't <laughs> talked about yet. <laughs> It goes deep. 
That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay. Maybe uh, I should say the Dragon Balls from Dragon Ball Z. Maybe that's actually the answer. No, yeah. no, no. You said Goku. We got it. I did say Goku. We'll did. run with it. We got it. We got it. I love it. Okay. If you got stuck in an elevator and you were forced to listen to only one song, what would it be? If you say something like Katy Perry, I'm going to lose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I got to. Oh, I have to think about that one. Um, maybe Sunday Candy. That's what's coming to mind right now. Sunday Candy by Chance the Rapper. Oh, all right. All right. I like it. Um, all right. And then my last question is, and this is the one I ask all my guests, and that is, what are you most grateful for today in this very moment? My wife, mm. um, my wonderful family. Um, and the fact that I'm, I'm still here, you know, I have a roof over my head and as an entrepreneur, I think life goes up and down, but I have these people and these things in my life that have stabilized it. And, um, that just makes me really happy when I think about it. That's awesome. Well, Darrell, this has been such a pleasure, such a joy. You are awesome. And now I I feel very glad to know not only do I know what a social impact design firm does, um, uh, but I just really, I'm just really grateful for um, the work that you're doing. And uh, just thank you for coming on the show today and telling everybody about you and your story. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciated Darrell's honesty in regards to the story of the loss of his brother and the issues around racism and so many things that our country's facing that he is really, really trying to tackle in a thoughtful way. Um, I want to know what you loved about this conversation or something that you learned. Let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. As always, thank you to our sponsor, The Root Collective. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash TRC and use that coupon code PURPOSE20 for 20% off your order. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener, welcome, welcome, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind leaving a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. As always, the show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman. The music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media with support from Mark Haywood. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.